This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Thank you so much for joining us for our Christmas Eve service. This is number three today. So we've been, uh, we've been uh, around the block a few times already on this one. But uh, I tell you what, we can, uh, you know, we try not, as a staff, we try not to measure, uh, you know, to, like, to distinguish too much between services. But man, you guys are on fire today. Amen. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And so thank you so much for joining us. Amen. Well, Christmas Eve. I especially am thankful that we are doing this today, this Christmas Eve, that you've joined us. I'll tell you why, because 2020, I think all of us will agree, has been a, a tough year, right? And some have experienced it a lot worse than others, and all of us have had to figure out and manage um, navigating through uh, a COVID season um, and navigating it, employing our faith, figuring out how to be a follower of Jesus Christ while we are, um, you know, figuring out how to navigate COVID-19, right? And so that's been uh, super important, obviously, as we've done it. But what I love about ending, the, this is our last public service uh, for the year 2020. And what I love is that we're ending it. 2020 has given us all kinds of insecurity, um, has, you know, we've felt all kinds of challenges because of 2020. Some, of, some people have businesses of clothes. You, you know, you've had all kinds of things that have happened. But what I love is ending 2020 with this service is that we are declaring to the top of our lungs that Jesus, you rule, you reign, that there is nothing, 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 not even COVID-19 that can keep you, keep you away. Amen? And so I just, I thank you for joining us and thank you for celebrating with us. How many of you... Um, our fans or, or follow or know about the, uh, the Back to the Future movie series. Just raise your hand if you, if you know about it, you know. It's an 80s product, so you have to be, you know, have a few years at least behind you. But, uh, uh, you know, the, it, it's, it's one of those series that I really enjoyed. I, I watched a lot of it. My, Michael, Michael J. Fox and, and Christopher Lloyd. I mean, I just love Christopher Lloyd in this whole series. But anyways, the, in the second installment, if you, if you recall, the, in the second installment of, of Back to the Future, what they did is they traveled into the future, right? And I'm not going to tell you the whole story because I don't have time to get into that. It's not my point. But they traveled into the future. And do you remember... Um, the date that they landed in the future? Anybody kind of somewhat remember? Huh? 2015, exactly. October 21st, 2015. So this was an 80s movie. The setting of the the movie is the 80s. And their idea of traveling into the future was to travel to 2015, our present day, our present, you know, our day, right? And do you remember how they depicted the future? They depicted it with, you know, uh, flying cars, like if your, your automobile would, you'd start it and it would like lift up and then take off, you know. Um, uh, they, they had uh, hoverboards and these hoverboards, you know, the, they were great on, on solid ground, but they were useless on water. Uh, they had uh, holographic advertisements like these, uh, uh, like you'd be walking down a sidewalk and then something just pop up right then. It was a hologram of somebody advertising something, you know, and... Uh, self-adjusting clothing, remember that? The, you know, jackets, you just put them on and they were really long and then you just push the button and they just adjusted to your body. 
I wish I had clothes like that. Um, no, actually, I don't wish I had clothes like that. That might reveal more than I want. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, you know, so they had all that stuff, right? And so in the 80s, when I watched this, I have to be honest with you, I was an adult, and, and it mesmerized me. I mean, I just, I sat there mesmerized thinking, man, what, what would 20, not, what, it, what would 2015 really look like? Right? It sounds kind of silly now to even say that. The fact is, is that 1989, when that movie first came out, till today, 2020, there hasn't been that much change. We do have hoverboards, but they're, they have wheels, so that's not technically not really a hoverboard because it has wheels, right? And there has been some advancement, like, you know, we've gone from analog, rotary dial phones to smartphones, so there's been some advancement in these years. Uh, we've gone from 1,000-pound uh, tube televisions that were just the crappiest kind of picture, you know, you're just really trying to tune it and it wouldn't work that well, you know, to 30-pound LED screens, you know, that are, that are just brilliant and just crisp and all of that. You know, we've had, there has been some measure of change, but if you're honest with yourself and if you've been around for any length of time, you would say and admit that it hasn't changed that much. In fact, we might even go even further and say that there are things that we wish had changed that have yet not changed. Like with all the medical advancement, at least I'm in my late 50s now and thinking about having experienced medicine at different stages in my life. With all the medical advancements, I, I would think that by now, by now there might be a cure for cancer, right? Or perhaps racism would be something we would have only read in history books and not necessarily in the headlines. Or hunger. I mean, we're an advanced society. We have so much technology. There's no reason that anybody on the face of the earth should be going hungry. And yet, that's not our reality. Or maybe things like loneliness or depression. Those things should be stuff, things of the past, you know, not the present. I mean, we've come a long way, but in some ways, things haven't really changed that much. And I suspect as we celebrate Christmas Eve today that we celebrate, we celebrate, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came. He died for our sins and that we have new life through Jesus Christ. We celebrate that. And yet so many of us will go home and there will still be brokenness and there will still be hurt and there will still be heartache and there will still be struggle and there will still be things that you wish would have changed by now. Whether it's Globally, whether it's locally, whether it's in your own home. So this Christmas Eve, there are things that we still wish would change. We hope, we pray, we just want things to change. It wasn't a whole lot different that first Christmas Eve. For thousands of years, the Jewish people had held on to 300 plus promises about the coming Messiah about this deliverer who would come and set them free. They waited in anticipation for this Messiah to come and that Messiah would come and he would change things. He would make things better. They prayed, they waited, they hoped. But you know how it is when you wait and you hope and you wait and you hope and you wait and you hope and turns into a week, into a month, into a year, into multiple years, into a decade. And for some of these people, it was just their entire lifetime. They, they waited and they hoped, waited and hoped. 
And so on that first Christmas night, it's not surprising that when Jesus came, they missed him. I mean, makes sense. It was such an ordinary birth. The circumstances surrounding his birth were so understated that it was easy to miss. Angels had to appear in the sky and they appeared to shepherds and the shepherds, by this revelation, came to meet Jesus, you know, this newborn Jesus. But there were no dignitaries there. There were no kings there. There were no rabbis who were anticipating, waiting the coming of the Messiah. Nobody was there. Tells us how this happened, this very understated, it says in Luke 2. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came, so she came to full term, time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. We know him as Jesus, the Messiah. She wrapped him in cloths, meaning this is kind of a sign of poverty. They didn't have any nice linen clothes, and so they took just some old used cloths, and they wrapped Jesus in those cloths. They placed him in a manger, basically a feeding trough, because there was no guest room available to, for them. <clears throat> so that's the Son of God's entrance into the world. I mean, we're talking about... Today, do you realize we've all gotten dressed up and we've come and we've given prizes away and we've celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ and this is how he came into the world. So ordinary. So understated. Just, it's, just, it's just strange. And what makes it even more strange is that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and he comes and he's born into this world and yet really at that time nothing really changed very much. In fact, Herod, who was the king, when he found out that there was this new king in town, he still murdered and slaughtered a whole bunch of baby boys who were under the age of two. The Romans, their empire didn't cease the day that Jesus was born. They were still slaves in occupation there. And I think sometimes we find ourselves in this tension, in this dilemma, even today. As we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the reality that Jesus has come. He's come. We rejoice in that, right? We rejoice that he's come. But, man, there's still, there's still heartache. There's still trouble. There's still things, challenges that we're facing. And so we also stand in this tension where we're anticipating him to come again. In fact, historically speaking, when you think, when you read through church history, what you'll notice is that every time they celebrated the eve of Christmas, they celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ on the eve of Christmas, every time they do it, they also celebrate the second coming of Jesus Christ. That Advent has those two messages embedded in them. That Jesus came once and he's coming again. That's just part of it. And there's a reason for that. It's because we live in this world in this tension of this world. Yes, Jesus has come. Yes, you have been forgiven of your sins. Yes, you have been set free from things. Yes, those, you've experienced all of those things. And yet, at the same time, you still suffer heartache. Loved ones still pass away. Loved ones get COVID and they suffer through COVID. COVID. 
And so we find ourselves anticipating his future return. And so this Christmas Eve should be a reminder that one day Jesus is going to come back again and he's going to make things right. See, the birth of Christ should cause us to celebrate. The return of Christ should cause us to prepare. We celebrate the birth of Christ, but as we anticipate and think about the return of Christ, we prepare ourselves. We, we prepare ourselves for his return. So I don't know if you know this or if you knew this or not, and you might know this, but do you realize that the birth of Jesus and also the return of Jesus are dates circled on God's calendar? They didn't just, it's not like God said, oh, Jesus was born. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. It was a date that was anticipated. In fact, in fact Galatians 4 tells us that Jesus came at just, at the, in the, it's, the language is in the fullness of time. That Jesus came at just the right time. That's when he came. Now for us, God's, you know, for us, God was running late. For us, we were wondering, God, when is this going to happen? It's been a long time coming. But for God, that date was circled on his calendar. He knew exactly when this was gonna happen. It was at just the right time. It was an appointed time. Now today, it's, it's, I, what I, everything I just said is easy to say because I'm looking at it from a 2,000 year vantage point. I'm looking back, right? And so I could look back at history and I could see the whole picture and I, and I could put all the pieces of the puzzle together and I could, it makes sense to me. Yeah, what a perfect time for Jesus the Messiah to be born on this earth. Let me, let me illustrate. I've got a few images here, and I, bear with me. I know you're like, wait, isn't this a Christmas Eve service? What, what, why are we talking about history? I hated history in high school. Why are we talking about history? So just bear with me, okay? But we're going to go do a little bit of history here, right? So 400 B.C. In 400 B.C., in biblical history at least, Persia is ruling the world. They're the masters. They're the ones in charge. And their kingdom is expanding, and their empire is expanding. And as they're expanding, they start expanding towards Greece. Well, this begins to infringe on Greece's, you know, sense of security. And so Philip of Macedon, who is the king, uh, one of the kings in Greece, he unites all the Greeks together, and they begin to fight against the Persians. So this war, this protracted war begins to happen between the Greeks and the Persians. Philip of Macedon passes away. His son, Alexander, becomes the next king of Greece. Of, of Greece. And we know him as Alexander the Great. The reason why we know him as Alexander the Great is because, we, because, is because when he became king, in 12 years, he conquered the entire Persian Empire and then some. That's why he's known as Alexander the Great. Now, what's significant for us as we talk about the, just the appointed time, the right time, what's significant for us is that when the Greeks had conquered this area, what they also brought with them, they brought Greek language and Greek culture. That, began, that, that became the, the, the main, main way of communicating, main way of traveling within this part of the world. They brought a language. There's Greek, there's high Greek, there's philosophical kind of Greek, but they brought a, 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 a very common one called Koine Greek. This Koine Greek, the reason it was kind of invented, it was an invented language, was to help facilitate commerce. And so everybody, everybody spoke a little bit of Greek. In fact, if you wanted to charter a ship from Palestine to Rome or to Greece or to Athens, you had to know a little bit of Greek. 
And this is preparing the way. Suddenly, everybody speaks a little Greek. Suddenly, the gospel can now spread via a certain language to many parts of the world. Also significant is in 280 BC, let's go to the next slide. In 280 BC, the Old Testament, okay, the, what we know as the Old Testament, you have the Old and the New Testament. The Old Testament was translated into Greek. It's called a Septuagint. Septuagint meaning 70 or 70 scholars that kind of run this thing. And, and so they, they translated the Old Testament into Greek and now suddenly prophecies about the coming Messiah, prophecies about, you know, um, the the birth, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and the, and the suffering that he's going to suffer at the cross and the miracles that he would do. All these prophecies, all these words are now available in a language that this whole world could speak. And so again, it's paving the way, it's paving the way for the coming of the Messiah. Then in 63 BC, the Romans conquer the, the Greeks and so now they have this larger empire and it spans all over the place. It's 63 BC. We, we don't really, a lot of us don't really study a lot of old history like this. And so one of the characters during this time was a guy named Julius Caesar. We know about Julius Caesar, right? Julius Caesar, you know about Julius Caesar. We know, I think mostly we know about Julius Caesar because of Shakespeare. But none of us really read Shakespeare. I don't read Shakespeare, but you know. But what's interesting about Julius Caesar is that during his reign, there was a lot of civil war going on. I mean, nobody really liked him, and so much so that in 25 BC, he was assassinated. And when Julius Caesar was assassinated, a new emperor came into being, Caesar Augustus. Now, we know Caesar Augustus. If you read the Gospels, you'll read about Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus becomes the new emperor of Rome, 25 BC. And with Caesar Augustus comes 200 years of peace. It's called the Pax Romana. And the Pax Romana changed many things. The Romans were known as road builders, for example. They built an extensive highway system. You've heard, this, you've heard the term, all roads lead to Rome, right? You've heard that before? Well, it's because the Romans were road builders, highway builders. And they built this extensive highway system. And then also, they even had like a security force that would, that would patrol the highway, to make sure that citizens could travel freely through the country. This is what's happening. All this is happening during the time in which Jesus would be born and in which Christianity would be established. Now, at the time, it was hard to see. But us, from a 2,000-year vantage point, we see how Jesus came the first time at just the right time. It was circled on God's calendar. Jesus tells us that the second time he comes... It's also an appointed time. He's coming again. In fact, he tells us in Mark chapter 13, says, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. We're talking about the return of Christ. Only the father knows. And since you don't know when the time will come, be on guard, he says. Be on guard, stay alert. Jesus is telling us that there's an appointed time in which he's going to come back. Nobody really knows. God knows. And says nobody really knows. And we should be people who are prepared for the return of Christ. That's essentially what Jesus is telling us. There's a lot of verses that talk about the return of Christ. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Again, talking about the return of Christ. And what I love about this verse particularly is that Jesus says, listen, this good news, 
that salvation is available to all humankind. This good news is going to go to every part around the world. Everybody will get to hear, will have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And when that happens, then I will come back. And this is why here at Life Church, we prioritize missions. And particularly, we prioritize missions to the unreached peoples of the world, people who have never had an opportunity to hear the gospel because we believe that they're uniquely connected to the return of Christ. Listen, he came and he's coming again. Okay, now I'm gonna pause here for a second because I realize that you're probably sitting there saying, okay, I thought this was a Christmas Eve service. <laughs> Why? What's going on, Rich? You, you brought us into here to talk about the return of Christ. I mean, I like to talk about sweet baby Jesus, but why are we talking about this king who's going to come back and restore the world? Why are we even talking about this? And yet, historically, if you understand history in terms of traditions, particularly in doing Christmas Eve services, they would talk about the first coming of Christ, and they would always come back to the return of Christ and how we need to be ready for the return of Christ. You know, a few years ago, I came across this, um, this not, it was kind of advertised during like Christmas season as a, you know, kind of like a gag gift, novel kind of gift that you can give for, during Christmas. Uh, it's called the ostrich pillow. I have an image of it. You ever seen the ostrich pillow before? Yeah, I, I wanted to buy it. I mean, it had great reviews. It had great reviews. It said, it said you know, they said that, it, you know, it's like you put it on, you, you can breathe, but you don't hear anything, you don't see anything. What a dream, right? To not, you moms with little kids, like, I need one of those, right? <laughs> I thought I needed one of those. I, thought, I even saw this picture. I thought, yeah, that could be me sitting in my office. And then I had this crazy idea that I could just, wake up one day and realize that Jairus and Chris had decorated my office and done all kinds of stuff and, and you know, videotaped it all. <laughs> and Jairus is over there saying, yeah, that's exactly what we'd have done if you had one of those on. Um, but anyway, so, so this is called the ostrich pillow. And I think oftentimes it's not a bad metaphor for how we oftentimes think about the return of Christ. Like, we like the sweet six-pound, four-ounce baby Jesus, right? Ricky Bobby baby Jesus. <laughs> we like that one. No, we don't like the whole King Jesus returning Christ. That one's a little bit, you know, let's not talk about that, right? It's a bit unsettling. But the birth of Jesus and the return of Jesus are similar in that both of them are at, are at an appointed time, and they're also similar in that many people will be unprepared. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about this. He says, the day of the Lord, talking about the return of Christ, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And what does he say? Why does he say a thief? I mean, that's not a good comparison to say Jesus is coming like a thief, right? Why would Jesus come to steal anything from you? Well, it's because a thief doesn't come to you at noon today and say, hey, by the way, tonight at midnight, I'm going to break into your house and I'm going to rob you blind. A thief doesn't do that, right? If he did that, Steve Sherman would have a shotgun waiting, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You wouldn't do that. A thief sneaks in. A thief, it's just like any other day, right? So another day at work, another day at the gym, another day at home watching the game. That's when a thief shows up. He goes, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And when Jesus comes, 
nobody will miss his coming. You may be, you may be unprepared, but you will not be unaware. I want to say that again. You may be unprepared, but you will not be unaware of his coming. See, I think it's appropriate for us in the true spirit of Advent, as we think about the birth of Jesus Christ, that we also are reminded that Jesus is coming again. He will return. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, Paul is talking to the Thessalonians and he's telling them that Jesus is going to come and that he's going to descend from heaven with a shout. That in his return, he's going to come with a shout. I often wonder, what is he going to shout? Right? Like the Bible doesn't really tell us exactly what he's going to say. And my mind, when I'm reading the Bible and I come to these places where they're a little bit paradoxical or they're, they're, they, they don't have, there's not more information, my mind runs a little bit. You know, I start wondering, what's he going to shout? You know, like, like what's he going to say? You know what I think? I think that in light of the fact that many of us are living in this tension where we, we know that Jesus has set us free. We know that there's deliverance available for us. We know that God has a plan for our lives. We know all these, but we also know that we live in this tension where there are difficulties and challenges that somehow or another we're just waiting and waiting and they're just not being resolved. Maybe, maybe what Jesus is going to shout when he comes, when we're living in that, as we're living in that tension, maybe what he's going to shout is going to say, No more! No more! No more Parkinson's, no more heart disease, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more rejection, no more loneliness, no more depression, no more casts, no more crutches, no more wheelchairs, no more pacemakers, no more chemotherapy, no more radiation, no more terrorist attacks, no more anxiety meds. No more middle-of-the-night phone calls. No more child abuse. No more rape. No more coughs. No more colds. No more flu shots. No more acne for you teenagers. <laughs> no more love handles for you not-so-teenagers. <laughs> no more double chins. No more cottage cheese thighs. No more saddlebags. No more body odor. In fact, no more deodorant. No more deodorant stains. <laughs> No more shaving, no more waxing, no more plucking, no more, no more addiction, no more hormones, no more drama, no more crash diets, no more doctors, no more doctor's bills, no more needles, no more mechanics, no more plastic surgeons, no more dentists, praise God, sorry Willie, but dentists make me hurt. <laughs> no more politicians, even more, praise God, <laughs> hallelujah. No more courtrooms, no more divorce papers, no more pink slips, no more funeral homes, no more tiny caskets, caskets, and this list can go on and on and on. That when Jesus comes, those of us who are living in the tension of this life, yes, he came, and yes, he's going to come again. One day, we're going to hear him say, no more. No more. Jesus came, and he will come again. It will be different, though. The first time he came... He came in weakness as a little baby in a manger. The next time he'll come, he'll come as a king who will rule and reign. The first time he came, he came to die 
but when he comes again, the dead will rise. Amen. And I, I'm, I'm waiting for that day. There are too many loved ones, too many friends of mine, too many family members. I can't, I, I just, as I said that, my thoughts just went to my abuelita, who I haven't seen in many, many years, and I can't wait to kiss her cheek. The first time he came, the world barely noticed. But the second time he comes, and he will come, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And so the question, the question for you and me right now is are we ready? Christmas Eve, the birth of Christ reminds me that he's coming again, which then begs the question, am I ready for his coming? Are you ready for his coming? I'm going to ask us to stand. I'd like to pray for all of us. And <clears throat> over the last several weeks, I've been using this posture of hands, hands like stretched out like this. Um, there's nothing magical about this posture per se. It's just, it's a way of talking about a posture of the heart. Because really that's where all of us, that's really the appeal to all of us right now, is where is your heart? Where's your heart? As you hear God's word preach, as you worship and engage in worship music, where is your heart? Where, how are you engaging what you're hearing, what you're receiving? And so as a way to physically show where my heart is I put my hands out like this by, and I'm saying basically to God God I come to you with nothing I have nothing to give that would make me better I have nothing to offer that will save me I have nothing to give that will, that will redeem me that will give me hope that will do God I have nothing to give I come with empty hands and I come with empty hands, God, because I want you to fill those empty hands with your presence, with your power, with your salvation, with your healing virtue, with what you and only you can do. God, will you fill those hands? Will you fill my life? That's the posture of our hearts. And so right now, today, as you're in this worship service, if that's the posture of your heart, will you put your hands out like this? Will you say to God, God, I come with nothing. And I ask you to give me everything. I ask you to save my soul if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I ask you, God, to heal my broken marriage. I mean, I'm celebrating Christmas today, but man, my marriage is really struggling. I ask you to break this bondage of addiction that I have of alcohol or pornography or, or drugs. I've begged, I've waited, I've cried, and I want deliverance from it, but God, it's just so hard. And so I come, Father, with my hands extended. I have nothing to give to save myself. I'm asking you to do it all for me. God, I'm asking you... I. I'm, I'm in this place. I'm celebrating Christmas Eve right now, celebrating Christmas, but I'm in this place where my children, my adult children, haven't talked to me in years because they just don't want to talk to me. And our relationship is broken. And God, I need you to heal that relationship. 
This is our posture. God, we need you. Let's pray. Father, Father, you hear our heart. You hear our cry. This Christmas Eve service, Father, we need you to just invade us, invade our hearts, invade our minds, invade our spirits. God, we ask that you would set us free from bondage of sin. God, if there are people in this room who have never given their lives to you, Jesus, that today, Father, they would simply pray that prayer. Jesus, come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Father, for those that are, that are bound by addictions, for those that have, are in, in marriages that are not doing well, God, I just pray that you would intervene right now and that you would bring freedom and deliverance. For that's why you came the first time and that's ultimately why you're going to come the second time is to bring freedom and deliverance. So today, Father, we worship you as the one who sets us free. As the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that you are the king, that you are the Lord. And so today, Jesus, we surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name.